Hey everyone and welcome to Screams After Midnight. Happy Halloween. It's Halloween 2019. It is the end of the October oh, Thon. What? It rhymes. Halloween 2019. I mean, that's been true for every year that's ended in teen, which is the last eight of them, or seven of them, whatever it is. Yeah, but I mean, especially this year though. Why does 19 rhyme with Halloween any more than 15 or 13? I'm not going to explain how rhyming works to you. What? Shut up! This is Screams After Midnight. We are a horror movie Treat, mother. We are a horror movie podcast. And every week we get together, we talk about a horror movie. But it is the October Thon. We're at the end of the October Thon. And that means we've been putting out episodes every single day in, in October. And this is kind of our finale. This is the end of the road uh, before we go back to our regular schedule in November. So season finale, season one is over. We look forward to season two starting next week. I mean, this is more at the end of season three, but yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Season four begins next week. Uh, so no, this is um, this is uh, our big movie at the end of the month, and we like to end with a big movie at the end of October. And this one is also timely because a sequel of sorts is about to hit theaters in the next week or so. So. This is The Shining. That is what we're wrapping up with. Stanley Kubrick's big film from 1980, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. Uh, somehow we made oh, wait, it... We weren't supposed to watch the miniseries? <laughs> the TV miniseries starring Steven Weber? Oh boy, it's going to be an awkward <laughs> review. Tim, what have you done? <laughs> what have you done? Now, so, somehow we made it this, this far without doing The Shining, and I don't know how that happened exactly. Uh, too many crap new films to review, I guess. <laughs> Didn't have time yeah, to fit exactly it in. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk about The Shining. We'll start spoiler-free. Uh, if, if you, you know, if you're one of the few people who hasn't seen The Shining, and, well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of young people who haven't seen The Shining, but if you're, if you're a sort of person who finds a horror movie podcast and is listening to us mm-hmm. talk about horror movies, you've probably seen The Shining. But just in case, we'll start spoiler-free, and we'll give you a warning in the middle before we go into spoilers. So... The premise of The Shining is that a man named Jack Torrance and his wife and son go to the Overlook Hotel, 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 uh, for for to, to sort of be caretakers for the winter for the five month period where the weather's too extreme outside for anyone to come stay there. So the idea is, as he goes there, he's he's there to turn on the heat and make sure that the hotel, you know, battles the climate a little bit, and. Of course, the hotel might have some sinister supernatural entities which bring out the worst in them because there's already been a tragedy years before where one of the caretakers went mad and killed his family with an axe. Also, Danny, the, the son, uh, might have an ability referred to as the Shining where he can sense things and maybe communicate uh, with other entities uh, via his mind... Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that about sums up the, the idea here. And obviously everyone is familiar with Here's Johnny, which, um, as far as I'm concerned, just comes from this. It's not a reference to some TV show. I, I, I've, <laughs> I've, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> this, 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 is, this is purely uh, a shining thing. Um, I say that because, of course, the thing that it's referencing was never a thing in the UK, as far as I know. So, and even if it was, like, I didn't see this movie till I was born, and I was born, like, I mean, way after this, so. Yeah, even when I watched it as a kid, like, it, it wasn't really something I was familiar with. 
there you go so you know even you've been aged out of it so um yeah that's the, that's, that's the general idea of the shining uh, i mean i'll ask the question tim but I'm, i feel like i'm expecting a pretty straightforward answer here do you enjoy stanley kubrick's the shining Did you get it? <sighs> I was waiting for the payoff to whatever this joke was. This, 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 you sitting there staring at me silently for like 15 seconds. And uh, well, that was I it. I guess one of us has a shine. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, so Pete, Pete could uh, uh, pick up what I was trying to send to him. Uh, but no, I, I obviously love The Shining. It's, it's fantastic. Um, so I, you know, I'm a big Stephen King fan, and so it is a little weird because he notoriously hates this movie. Which um, the kind of the big reason he gives is that, like, you know, the book is all about this, um, you know, admittedly like a, a man who's had trouble in the past, but he's trying to atone for. It. He's like a good person now, and then he's slowly being driven insane, um, you know, by this hotel. Uh, <clears throat> and his big problem with the movie is that, like, you know, Jack Nicholson is insane uh, from frame one, which like. Uh, I do, I, I was like, when I was watching, I was like, all right, is that an exaggeration? But he pretty early on, you do get like, uh, the sense that something's not right with him. So I definitely see that complaint, but I feel like they must've had some trouble on set or something. Cause like, that seems like, you know, a lot of his movies, people change stuff around. So it seems weird to kind of get hung up on that one thing. Like, uh, especially when like the movie mm-hmm. is still like a masterpiece, so I, I don't know. I feel like there's something else going on there, but I, even I, though I, I will say I, I think he's insane from frame one's maybe a bit of an exaggeration. He's definitely like, yeah, he he's he's clearly got problems from frame one, but I, I don't know if insane is necessarily the, the, the word I jumped to. Sure, yeah, uh, like, but. I mean, and for the record, I also do really like uh, the book as well. Uh, they certainly are different, but I don't know. I, I like when movies and books are different because <laughs> otherwise it's boring if, you know, you like the movie and then read the book and it's the same thing. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I love Stephen King. I love his book version, but I also really like Stanley Kubrick and I love this version. It's uh, – I, I do think this is uh, – a, a masterpiece everything about it is you know uh working like uh past like you know the best of its ability like it's uh it looks amazing it sounds amazing the performances are fantastic uh and growing up is just one of those movies that were like you know when you're like you're getting into horror movies and you see like a lot of junk and stuff but then there's like a few that you kind of like almost whisper about like like oh yeah like you know that movie's cool this movie's cool but like oh man like have you seen the shining yet and like i remember when i saw it like pretty young like it did creep me the hell out because <laughs> I, I think it is a genuinely creepy movie but it's uh it's utterly fantastic though it's everything about it is uh phenomenal this is such a such a good movie it's re- re- really damn good well, I mean, it's Stanley Kubrick. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's always one of the best directors of all time. Yeah. Uh, and like, uh, I'm not sure if this is true. Maybe you can, you can back this up. But like, I think someone told me before, like Stanley Kubrick, his goal was like to make the best movie in every genre or whatever. Like, 
2001 was him being like, I'm going to make the best sci-fi movie. And then, uh, you know, The Shining was like, I'm going to make the best horror movie, which I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but uh, it does kind of seem like it worked out that way, though. He's definitely close to the top of the list. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you look at his filmography, I don't, I don't know if that was his intention per se, but like, if you look at like, you know, the, the, you know he's got The Killing or he's got Lolita or he's got... Um, Paths of Glory, you know, he, he does kind of cover a lot of genres. Um, he does yeah. kind of, he, he does come back to war a couple of times though, because he has Paths of Glory and he has Full Metal Jacket. Different wars, admittedly, and different sort of types of characters sure. in those, but, um, so yeah, I can kind of see that. And then obviously Eyes Wide Shut is his, his, uh, his, uh, comedy. So, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I could. A hilarious movie. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, Shining, Shining's uh, is a masterpiece. It's, it's it's a film that is so confident in every single like f- movement of the camera. Like well, one of the things I was noticing as I was watching it this time, uh, and you know, sort of paying attention to you know maybe things in a more sort of analytical level because I'm going to talk about it, is just how much of this movie is the camera following someone. There's so yes. many shots yeah. in this movie following someone from behind, and it just gives you this presence of like, like something's following them. Even it's never a POV shot, but it always just like, there's just enough of it that it feels like. But it's always these really wide shots, like it's always wider. Like most movies, when you have someone being followed from behind with a camera, they'll be framed kind of perfectly within the frame. This is this is this movie is obsessed with letting you know we had a real big hotel to shoot in, yeah. and we're going to yeah. make sure you see it all the time. And you're going to see just how big the space is. You're going to feel the the you know the hotel itself does become a bit of a character, and like everyone remembers the carpets, everyone remembers the yeah all all the various details that you see over and over again. And yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to fault it. Um, now, what's interesting from my perspective is that this was the first time I'd ever seen the U.S. cut of the movie. I made a point of watching the U.S. Oh, cool. cut. And I'll explain, you're like, wait, there's, there's different cuts. What, what's this you, you're, you're saying? Well, this is, the, this is an interesting thing where the movie is about two hours and 20 minutes, maybe two hours and 22 minutes long. Yep. And that was the version that was released in US theaters in 1980. And the movie received poor reviews, if you can believe that. Uh, do, do you know what's baffling? How many great movies from the early eighties like had bad reviews when they came out, and then we all look back and go, "What the hell were they thinking? Like, what, what were these idiots doing?" Was it like were people just not in the mood for horror or something? Because <laughs> like, I think it's easy to say like a lot of the best horror movies are from the eighties, and then yeah, it's weird going back and finding out like they weren't real, well received. So strange, but um, basically, it was reviewed poorly. So he made Stanley Kubrick made the choice to recut the film. He cut out. 20 plus minutes uh for the international release and um it, it's, it's it's labeled as the international release i don't know if it was just europe or the entire rest of the planet but uh the cut that i grew up watching um is the shorter version which is about two hours long and what was interesting is that you know most movies these days when there's different cuts you know you buy the blu-ray or whatever it'll say hey which cut do you want to watch they'll give you the choice they'll make it an, an easy thing for some reason, The Shining, like Warner Brothers, for whatever reason, have just kind of like stuck to this, like kind of like two different cuts thing, where mm-hmm. even the Blu-ray that I that I own, the UK Blu-ray, is the the international cut, 
And if you buy the US Blu-ray of the same period, because there's a new one just coming out because they're doing the 4K version, uh, and I'm not okay. sure which cut comes with that, probably the longer one. I don't know if they're doing different versions or whatever, but um, I, I do have to have to wonder um, why this, this is that after all this time, the, the even because the blu-ray is region free like you, you could play it because bonner brawls are very much about like the discs being playable over the world but if you buy the u.s disc you get the u.s cut if you buy the the, the disc in europe you get the the european cut uh what's so you weird? can watch man of steel no matter what country i know <laughs> so weird fantastic <laughs> so i actually owned the u.s dvd of the shining for a while but never get around to watching that copy of it um so I, I had it in my grasp at one point and never did. But interestingly, the US longer cut is sometimes referred to as the director's cut. That is not entirely accurate in the sense that mm-hmm. uh, both cuts are the director's cuts because Stanley Kubrick approved both of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's contrasting opinions as to whether or not he claimed which one was his favorite or which one was better. Um, I've seen people claim that he wanted it to be tighter paced and that's why the European cut's the better one. I've seen people say that no, the US one's better because it has this extra backstory in it. Um, mm. So I was very curious to finally watch the longer cut and see how I felt about it and see if it did feel a bit too long or if see if it did feel like anything that was added felt rough. Uh, as we talk about the plot and the spoilers, I'll try and point out some of the, the main things that were, were different. Um, I will say the movie's still great. It's just not, it doesn't feel that different. The one thing I'll say, uh, there is one scene, there's one like 10, 15 second scene that I think is bad, that, that was, that's that never been in the cut that I've watched. Interesting, okay. <laughs> so I'll bring that up. I'll just say it's a bit hokey and doesn't feel like it belongs in a Stanley Kubrick movie. Um, okay. But other than that, it's just, it's just as great. There's like, I don't really have a clear favorite between them. Um, so at any point, did it feel like it was dragging or anything? Because I, fe- I feel like this is... Uh, you know sometimes we talk about like movies being too mm. long and yeah two hours and 20 minutes is a pretty long runtime, especially for a horror movie but i find it endlessly watchable like i at no point am i ever bored or like you know feel well, like uh well, i want less of this what makes it such a shame that stanley kubrick never really did any other horror movies is that he's so good with this the sort of slow suspense that yeah. you don't really feel the runtime. i don't think and in, in the way that you otherwise should um, so no, I, I didn't feel like it was it was it was too long or it was it was dragging on. So that's that's good. That's good. But I will say that one of the interesting things is that uh, you know that Stephen King's main complaint that uh, Jack Nicholson's like clearly crazy from frame one is actually less true in the shorter cut because oh, okay. um, the entire scene near the start where Danny has a doctor come to see him and then the doctor sits and, sits and talks to Shelley Duvall, uh, sits and talks to Wendy, sorry, uh, about like Danny and when they moved here. And this is a, in the American cut where you hear about, you know, how Danny got hurt, how he got injured by Jack Nicholson, uh, you know, in the past when he was drunk. And this is like a five and a half minutes chunk that's not in the European cut. Um, in the European cut, you don't find out that he hurt Danny once until he's telling it to Lloyd the bartender, oh, which is like okay. an, which is like over an hour into the movie, maybe even you know like sixty, seventy, you know, seventy minutes into the movie, something like that. So, yeah. um, that and I've heard people, and I was looking up like opinions on this, like, and some people think the U.S. cut's clearly superior because you know from the start. Um, what his backstory is, and therefore it, it, it sort of puts you in this frame of mind of this guy's already maybe unhinged. Um, 
But then the argument for the European cut is, is that you don't really know that right away, and it's slowly revealed yeah. over the course of the, the movie. So that was kind of a funny difference uh, watching. That mm. was what, what if, in terms of a character thing, that was the biggest difference uh, that I felt uh, going through it. Yeah, but interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of the other things are a lot of small snippets here or there. Like I've just seen. Um, have you got animal troubles, Tim? You keep looking over. Yeah, as if... and cats driving me crazy. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, he's uh <laughs> keeps trying to claw at the little food mat so it's knocking all the food out. <sighs> Clean that up later. <laughs> little, little terror. Um. <laughs> So yeah, no, I just uh, that was one of the interesting things for me watching it this time is just watching this different cut that I've never seen before, which has like twenty extra minutes of of things. Uh, there's definitely parts where it's just like, yeah, like you you they, they could have cut like all this stuff out that wasn't in the other cut because it doesn't really add much here or there, or it doesn't like make it hard, any harder to understand. I should say, sure. um, but yeah, so, um. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what else? Did, I mean, spoiler free. I mean, we talked to, we talked about the camera always being behind people and like making mm-hmm. sure the house is there. Obviously, most of the film's set. Oh, not say the house, the hotel. Uh, most of the film's set in the hotel. It really becomes like, a character in of itself. Yeah, and like uh, yeah, like you're kind of saying to that point, it really adds to the creepiness that you have like this huge giant space that's only filled with like three people, and uh, you know. Obviously, like, I don't think you usually think of, like, hotels as necessarily being, like, that creepy, but, <clears throat> you know, given these circumstances and, and everything and, um, yeah, just the way, like, you know, the camera's tracking people, it, it just really adds this, like, a factor where you can feel the isolation and, like, kind of, like, the madness slowly creeping in and it's just, everything is just super, super effective. It's a definitely a movie where everything feels hyper, uh, like, released or hi- hyper exaggerated because like mm-hmm. i think everyone remembers the scene where danny's like riding around in his little tricycle yeah and yeah. i think everyone remembers very vividly the sound of him like because mm-hmm. he's on floorboards sometimes and he goes on little little rugs and every time he's on the rug the, the sound kind of dampens and it's quite quiet but then he goes back out of the floorboards and it's like you know as he's going over the floorboards and Everyone remembers that scene, and all it is is him riding around in a circle and 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 his little tricycle. But you just <laughs> there's a rhythm to the sound of him going, depending on what surface he's on as he's riding around, and you just yeah. you hear this over and over again. Uh, you, you're you're always aware of just how empty and how they're the only ones making noise the entire time. Yeah, yeah it's like a deceptively simple, but it's one of those things that it's uh, there's just such like <laughs> it's uh, done so masterfully and. Uh, yeah, it really sticks out in your mind and can't help but remember it. Yeah. And like I say, the performances are very good. Uh, Jack Nicholson was basically born to play this role. Um, <laughs> at least this version of Obviously, Stephen King might disagree. But um, he's perfect in this. He really is. And he, um, he, he has all these little mannerisms uh, where he, you know, like... Because this is the thing. Every time I watch The Shining, like, obviously there's enough there to say that no there's definitely supernatural stuff happening and there's mm-hmm. definitely you know especially since danny has a superpower basically but <laughs> there's like you you could take out just a few things in this movie just a few scenes or a few little moments here or there and you could you could leave it be very ambiguous you could leave it be very ambiguous about uh, if there is anything supernatural actually happening because you can read so much of what's happening to jack's character as this is just him going insane, and this is him kind of accepting his 
his uh, violent side, his side, you know, because so much sure. of it's about convincing him to act out, and so much of what the the ghosts or whatever you want to call it, like, they're, 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 it's all about turning him against his wife and his family. It's all about uh, blaming them for his failures, for his uh, lack of success, for everything that's wrong in his life, and mm-hmm. you can read so much of it as that. And because what one of the, one of the things that I really like is that. The first time he like talks to the bartender, like ghost or whatever you want to call it, Lloyd, mm-hmm. um, is it's in the ballroom and it's empty. It's just him at the bar and he's talking to the bartender, um, mm-hmm. and you know they, they they're talking about stuff. But the, the the next time he comes back, the 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 ballroom's filled with people as if there's a party going on, and you know this is when he meets the 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 sort of the butler or the waiter dude who turns out to be whoever, and at this point it's like it's almost like the crazier he's getting and the more sort of or if you even if you don't read it as an analogy you just read it as like the hotel's like getting to him is um yeah like the, there's more and more of it appearing to him because he's becoming more and more a part of it like he's becoming more and more entrenched in what this place is um yeah. so there's like there's a progression through what he's seeing and what's he's what he's experiencing and and and, and so on yeah and uh i don't think they really um like get to it like too much in the movie um it's more uh something you kind of get from the book too but Mm. um like part of it is because like danny is so powerful like the ghosts are kind of feeding off of his like ability and so like the longer he's there i I feel like it kind of helps like the ghost be able to you know manifest more and do more um and also like one of the reasons why uh you know ultimately they want uh you know him dead is because then you know he'll become like a part of the hotel and then uh you know kind of adding to the power <laughs> that's there which uh i don't know but maybe something uh maybe you can kind of infer that in the movie but i think it's that's like it's a little more explicit in the book yeah i i i, I really like the psychological kind of take on it in the movie where it just it feels more like <sighs> I don't know if it feels a bit less explained and i kind of like that you know i think yeah. that's that's one of the things where you know books with with ghosts and stuff get re- tend to get really into the nitty-gritty of what mm-hmm. like the ghosts want or why they're here or whatever yeah. i kind of like how just... and it's like a it, it, it's a different medium where like i feel like that like i feel like more backstory does work in a book versus yeah. like a movie <laughs> like for some reason but because I, I almost look at the Overlook and kind of think of it as kind of like a almost a Silent Hill-esque place, right? Where, oh, yeah, yeah. Where there's kind of like this uh, weird kind of otherworld quality to it where... Because I, I, I always like the idea that Jack is taken over by, by this place because he's already susceptible to be taken over. Like, I think sure. if someone who comes here is completely healthy, um, they can't be, you know convinced by the ghost there's nothing that can happen there's nothing they can do but because yeah. jack does have this dark past because he has hurt his son in the past and he does have this resentment towards his wife and son they feed on that they manipulate that and that's why it goes the way it does yeah um yeah i i, I like that too yeah i can definitely see that as being a part of it yeah um so no i, I really like that i i think you know and that's the other thing about the american cut is that because you know about the past right from the start of the movie um there's so many moments where like there's because another scene that was cut in the the european cut is the uh there's a scene where they're watching tv um and jack's sleeping and he's like oh hey can i go get my fire truck because it's the scene because the scene where he goes he goes to the bedroom to get his fire truck and his dad's sitting there and he talks to him that's always been in the european cut 
But the scene before that in the American Cut, where they're watching TV and he's just asking permission to go get his fire truck for his mum, and she's like, no, 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 your dad's asleep, don't, and she's so worried about him waking him up and pissing him off that, like, there's, there's this layer of, like, there's already kind of a worry that he might snap at some point. And yeah. I guess it's just a preference as to whether or not you like the idea mm-hmm. that that's a kind of risk right from the start, or mm-hmm. if you prefer the idea that, no, he becomes more dangerous as the movie. I mean, I mean, he does become more dangerous. I mean, that happens anyway, but... Yeah. Um, I, I think it is kind of funny, too. Like, after those scenes, sometimes he is even creepier, like, when he's trying to be nice. Oh, yeah, because he's got, he's got that crazy look in his eyes, and he's, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know... Because yeah, when he's sitting there on the bed and he says, "Hey, come over here, Danny," he's like, "Oh God, what's he going to do? Like, yeah. this is bad." <laughs> um, so no, like I, yeah, the the movie, uh, I I like how much it works on just a purely psychological level about an abu- a, a potentially abusive husband. Because um, I I think the movie is largely about uh, how he treats his family and sort of the 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 things that are already there in his life that are already seeded. Uh, that he's trying to deny, that he's trying to... Because there's a moment when they're being shown around the hotel and they're, they're showing this bar in the ballroom and like, oh, there's no booze because, you know, for insurance reasons, it's just easier and cheaper to not have the booze here uh, in the off-season. And there's a, there's, there's a line from Jack where he just says, oh, we don't drink. But there's almost this, like... His del- this, this is where the acting is really great because obviously some of the crazy stuff's fantastic and really showy, but I love how subtle this this line is. Uh, you can because when you're looking for it, you can see that when Jack says this, he says it in a way that sounds kind of spiteful, like yeah, like he he wishes he could be drinking, but they don't drink because of what happened in the past, and yeah. he he resents his wife, he resents his son for what, the life that he has, he blames them for the fact that he's not successful as a writer, that he, he you know mm-hmm. that they're coming there for this job because he needs the money, and because he's going to use this as a chance to write, um you know hopefully a hit of course he writes almost nothing as we as we see as the movie goes on but um it's one of those little moments in this that i really like uh just as one of those things the more you watch it, you notice these little things in the performance um some subtle some not so subtle uh when he's telling danny about the cannibals in the car on the way up and yeah. shelly deval's like oh hey maybe you shouldn't say this and he's like it's okay mom i saw it on on tv and he's like see it's okay he saw it on yeah. the television <laughs> And he has this like sort of tone. Like he's just—he's annoyed that his idiot child is asking him questions. He's just—he's sick of him already. Yeah. Um, and uh, and again too, like I wonder if some of this stuff—if uh, you know—one of the reasons why Stephen King also has such a big problem with it is because uh, you know I imagine it's got to be a very deeply personal story to him because you know he's also had to. You know, he's also a writer. He's also had to battle, you know, with like addiction problems. And um, who knows, maybe when he was writing this, like mm. maybe, you know, he was putting a lot of himself in the character. So um, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's why he has a problem. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really funny that like he can't um, like get past it. Like I, I think to this day, he still uh, kind of like says like, yeah, it's a bad movie. It's like... <laughs> that's like come on man i I know if it's not it might not be the movie you want but man it's hard to deny that it's not a masterpiece yeah i think what i mean from the sounds of it what it it mean what he maybe doesn't like about it is that the movie is clearly a movie about a man who is toxic to his wife and child and that is there from the the start and it's it's it's, the the story is about how this this develops and gets it's really a movie about the the toxic mind of someone and how their thought process and how they see the world 
leads to their you know if, if you look at it from a, a modern context it's kind of like you know a, any kind of violence towards women or anything like that and this idea of blaming someone else for your own misgivings like he's very much that type of character and it's kind of an exploration of that and how these these ghosts kind of encourage that which is why why i say you could almost take the movie as not actually having any supernatural elements outside of some stuff that, that definitely is there but like this idea yeah. that th- th- these ghosts don't really need to be here this could just be in his mind this could just be the justification mm-hmm. in his head for what he's going to do for for what he's building up to obviously there's some elements that kind of prove that there is some supernatural entities and i'm not saying that there shouldn't be but there's a lot of the movie that could almost play that way where it is just a, a metaphor or it's just an analogy yeah. for what's going on in his head as opposed to I'm, you know yeah i mean like a lot of like really good movies there's you know tons of different things you can look at and take away from it and you know it, it works on many different levels uh I mean, if you even want to get really deep into it, you know, there's a whole documentary about, you know, what mm-hmm. some people <laughs> think the movie means, which, uh, yeah, I won't really go into it there, but I do think that is, uh, I do, you know, I do room... have to see room two, three, seven at some point. I've not, I've not had the it's, pleasure, but it's interesting. It's like, I mean, it's like a lot of conspiracy theories where you watch it and it's like, okay, uh, I don't know if I agree with this, but it is fascinating that, you know, someone was able to you know, think about mm-hmm. it and put all this stuff together. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know what I think is interesting about the movie as well? Is I think that Wendy is a little bit annoying at times. And I have to like wonder like how intentional this is to almost make his, in a weird way, sympathize with Jack, even though he's clearly going more and more psychotic. You know, there's, there's points where like she's very, like, it, it, and it's, it's like she's all, always on like, how do I put this? She's always on like tiptoes around Jack. Mm-hmm. And it comes across as a little frustrating early on where she's constantly doing that sort of like, and then we can do this, okay, voice, where she's trying to be like gentle with him the whole time to, as, as mm-hmm. to try and not piss him off. And it's almost a little bit annoying. And I, I do think it's actually a really inventive, intentional thing from the script mm-hmm. and the direction to almost make us feel like like you know there's a whole scene where she comes in and jack gets pissed at her for interrupting her and he goes like obviously way too far and tells her to get the f out and so on and so on but there is kind of this element of her almost being like that like almost an annoying child herself like having to come and get Mm -hmm. attention and like trying and she's not actually doing anything wrong and she's not actually doing anything that that should be considered annoying or whatever but it just it comes across in a very annoying way and i think the movie's very intentionally trying to almost put you in jack's shoes and sort of feel the uh the insanity and i I don't think it's because the movie wants you to side with them the movie is just making you feel the build because you 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 feel how annoyed he's getting and because of that you start to fear for her you start to fear Mm -hmm. what his reaction or what he might do next is going to be um and i think that's very intentional that you you can sense kind of everything in the way she's speaking to him and how how annoying that is like almost that way where like he he can tell that she is being more careful and that is actually making him angrier because Mm -hmm. that makes it feel like well she's scared enough to try and act careful therefore that offends me because i don't deem myself as being someone who should be who should be scared of yeah kind of thing yeah, and it's a reminder of like his past, like yeah. fuck, uh, you know, mess ups and stuff. Like, and uh, and obviously, like Kubrick's very intentional. Like, you know, you've heard stories about like, you know, they would do scenes like sixty, seventy times or whatever. And uh, you know, it's it is unfortunate because uh, it 
like um, I, I don't know, you know what exactly the extent is this, but like yeah, I've heard things about like Shelley Duvall like kind of going crazy on the set, like Kubrick just really like driving her mad, which um, is a super shitty thing to do to another human. Uh, but I mean, I think it does like if it does get you great performances on screen but i mean it's probably not worth it at you know someone's like sanity but uh yeah, i mean i will accept it if at the time of hiring her he said i'm going to drive you nuts on set so if you sign this contract know that i'm going to make your life a living hell if she knew that going in and accepted it i won't feel so bad about it but she probably didn't <laughs> she it was probably just oh, sure. she, she yeah. probably got on set and, and then he started being a dick <laughs> Yeah, and, and I don't know, like, I... And this is just kind of, like, quick things, like, yeah, I've heard, like, from whatever, I'm sure, other podcasts or something. Uh, so, I, I don't know, again, exactly what the extent of this kind of stuff is, but um, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, that is a shame, but, it, uh, you know, it, again, though, it, it does help, like, with the, like, performances of these people that are like being driven mad to if you are actually driving like the actors mad uh it does uh show on screen mm. yeah it's very it's, yeah it's, it's, it's like you can sort of see the agitation you can see the, the pressure and the the, the the stress that this shit is you know you can see it in her eyes it's, that's real um it's one of those crazy things though where some some of the the most hardened like auteurs who are like so terrible to their actors are the ones who get the best results though uh, it's this weird thing we look at and go yeah it's a bit inhumane but you can't deny that those results there <laughs> like people always say no i, I don't yeah. think james cameron's ever done this to his actors like he's never treated these actors like that but there's, there's a lot of stories about james cameron being a bit of a bit of a an asshole on set because he's mm. just like always wanting to get stuff done like, there's a great story about um when they were making aliens uh, where they were shooting that in England uh, at, I believe, Shepperton Studios? Or is it Painwood? Well, Alien and Aliens, one was shot at Painwood, one was shot at Shepperton. I can't remember which one was which. But uh, basically, so all, all your sort of crew who are doing this, this sort of like lower down jobs are all going to be local people. They're all people who work just sort of at that studio or, or you know, are local. And James Cameron would get so pissed off because when it was like there was like a sort of designated break time where there'd be like tea and like snacks served and everyone would just stop working and go and get their tea and snacks because that was like that was time for it that's that's what it was like this was their time to have a break and he's like no we're in the middle of a goddamn scene like no we'll finish the scene <laughs> first and you know that was like his attitude he always wanted to get things done um yeah. and, th- and that's a whole thing obviously like yes yes there's a reason why we have rules about how, when people should have breaks and things because yeah um and this is the thing I, I don't think i genuinely don't think directors for the most part anyway who drive their crew and their cast to like like uh, you know ridiculous working hours and conditions i don't think is ever done for the most part out of cruelty or because they're awful oh, sure. people i think it's because yeah. a director tends to be so attached to the work that they just want to keep mm-hmm. working uh, yeah. and don't take any account of the fact that they want to keep working means that everyone else is being kept there for you know unethical hours and right. uh, for you know st- causing them stress that you know is, is beyond and it's something i think is a bit more we're more aware, aware of now that people you know keep track of and that's why yeah. we have like so many unions and you know stuff oh, in yeah, hollywood definitely. and stuff like that but Oh yeah, no, that, that's definitely like a, a good thing. But uh, I, I think the one example that we can get behind, though, is uh, you know Sam Raimi loving to torture Bruce Campbell. That's oh uh, sure. Like those stories are always fun when he talks about Evil Dead, and 
how he basically just wants to like you know just like dump tons and tons of blood on him and everything not even just evil dead yeah. if i call i don't think these movies have aged well but i think in spider-man 2 i think it is there's a scene where toby mcguire's like kneeling down and there's like people walking past them it's like at the college campus and mm-hmm. the joke is, is that he keeps getting hit in the face with uh <laughs> like people's bags or whatever the backpacks um yeah apparently like in one of the takes it's actually sam raimi himself like walking past him like hitting him in the face with his backpack <laughs> and that just made me laugh this idea that I'm, I'm gonna get hit the actor yeah i'm gonna do this this <laughs> is my turn <laughs> uh, good that time sounds like fun. that sounds like fun uh yes but i like um the music's really good like you know it has a really distinct sound at the start uh yeah, this like really harsh horn <laughs> that plays as the it's bum, 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 bum. it's great and it's like uh that was one of the best things about the that like first uh doctor sleep trailer uh because um it, it, you know it, it's funny obviously the uh you know the book and the movie uh you know are different um when we get to spoilers i, I can get into some of the differences but the you know the doctor sleep the book obviously is you know a uh sequel to the book um and and so it was kind of interesting when the uh when they announced the movie and stuff a lot of people are like okay so are they you know you have this very famous movie are they going to kind of make it more of a sequel to that version or are they going to incorporate you know um the book version and ignore that and i think it seems like they're probably maybe doing a little bit of both uh but it still is hard to deny like how effective it was in that like first trailer when the music started playing uh yeah yeah I, I think given how much of a classic the shining is considered i feel like you'd have been crazy to think they wouldn't tie it to that movie you'd be crazy yeah. to think they, they wouldn't because although that said though i think one of the biggest problems of those trailers which i don't think are that great overall um is that they use some footage from the shining there's like footage of, like danny like on the tricycle and stuff and i'm like don't use clips from The Shining in your trailer for your new movie because, like, you're you're, you're looking at Kubrick footage and then you're cutting to like you know this modern footage and I like Mike Flanagan I do, but but that well, new actually, footage though, does not look as good. It just doesn't. But I actually think though that uh, I mean I, I could be go wrong be wrong maybe we'll double check this but I think he actually said that was all footage that they reshot like it's not the actual footage i think he said the only footage that was directly from the movie was the blood coming out of the elevator oh interesting but i mean it looks like super close yeah maybe if you're really looking at it you can see the differences but i mean it's clearly supposed to be well what's interesting about that then though is that he can achieve the kubrick look if he wanted to (laughs) and he's not doing it because the rest of the trailer looks a lot I don't know. Worse. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I mean, yeah, we'll see how it. Uh, I, it would make sense too if they are maybe, um, like kind of like reshot some stuff to maybe make it fit better, like some uh, what do you call it, like flashback things, just to kind of fit it in the movie. That would make sense, but I don't know. So, what do you call we'll those things where it flashes back? Oh yeah, flashbacks. <laughs> you knew what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear 
Um, so no, I think we're about done with the spoiler-free. I'm, I think it's probably a bit time yeah. to uh, dive into the uh, into the spoilers. Before we get to spoilers, though, I will just remind you about Patreon.com/slash/MailFuzzTV. You can support everything we do and keep all the content coming uh, by going over there and supporting us for as little as one dollar per month, which will net you an exclusive bonus episode every month. Although for October, thought we had four. We had the entire Wishmaster franchise, but there's a there's a whole back catalogue now. I think, I think Wishmaster four brings us up to about twelve uh, exclusive episodes, so you can get access to that library uh, if you go to Patreon.com. It only costs one dollar. Obviously, at the higher tiers, you get voting rights, you get other things. Can submit movies to the crypt, which is like a sort of a to-do list that we'll we'll go back to every once in a while, um, and so on and so on. So uh, go over to Patreon, have a look, and see if you're interested in supporting everything we do. Uh, but yeah, spoilers for The Shining. Um, movie starts, of course, um, with well a lot of aerial footage of uh, the mountains and uh, Jack going for his interview, and we we get some of the backstory. We get um, uh, sort of the explanation as to why the, the hotel shuts down in the winter and. Um, we hear about this Grady who about 10 years before this uh, murdered his daughters and wife um, with an axe, which of course is very specific because that's kind of what Jack ends up trying to do. And Which uh, in the uh, book, it ends up being a uh, croquet mallet that Jack uses like when he's kind of on his rampage at the end. Interesting. But, and I, I think axe probably works a, a little bit better, but yeah, just just imagine not having the scene where he looks through the door and says, "Here's Johnny." Like, you, you, yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't break down the door with a croquet mallet. Yeah, um, like it, it can. Yeah, like you can definitely like you know hurt people if you're swinging that. Like you know, really like if you hit someone upside the head with it, that's definitely painful. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really have the kind of I, I guess uh, I don't know the it, it's it doesn't seem as uh, threatening as an axe. Yeah. Uh, and obviously this is where we have all the scenes interesting uh, Wendy and Danny as well back at their apartment uh, setting up the, those characters setting up the idea of uh, Toby is the is the uh, Tony I think is it Tony Tony Tony's the uh, the imaginary friend that yeah, is part well, of yeah yeah, yeah red <laughs> ram red ram red <laughs> ram um, and so we set that up we set up kind of his uh, talking to tony and we we, we set up uh, the backstory here uh, as i mentioned the doctor's around and we, we hear like how he was hurt before and you know and what's interesting is that is that jack says in the interview that you know his wife will be delighted to hear about this murder story because she's an avid <laughs> horror film fan but i don't get the impression that he ever actually tells her like the movie it never seems like he actually does i don't get the the impression she knows about this yeah, it doesn't seem like it, and uh, and she does. I mean, uh, it, it seems like a lot of people nowadays are like true crime junkies. Um, mm. But I mean, maybe that wasn't as much of a word for it back then. But she doesn't seem like that type. But uh, I mean, maybe he's he's even just saying that just to kind of score points in the interview. Like, oh no, see, like that's we don't mind. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we that's all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and you know, I've seen him drive up. I mentioned, you know, talking about the cannibals on TV and Jack Cooley being kind of annoyed that his son's talking to him and and whatnot. And I, I do kind of, I kind of like the mood when they get there, though. That how like bustling it is. There's so many people walking around doing things, and it's like you know, by five o'clock you won't even know where they're. And it's kind of added to the fact that they just kind of cut to a a month later. And there's no one there now. Like it doesn't get. Yeah. It, you don't see them saying goodbye to the the manager or anyone. It's, it just cuts to no. Now it's empty. 
Yeah. And I like whenever they do like the really like sudden cuts where it just like, you know, be like boom and then like the name of the day will pop up or whatever. Yeah. No, it gives it this kind of stark feeling to it. That's one of the things that I like about this a lot is that it's very stark and it kind of separates mm-hmm. from a lot of other horror movies where most of this isn't in the dark. Most of this is in really brightly lit rooms and it doesn't yeah. matter. It, it, it works because again, it's, it's how imposing and empty the whole place is that it's kind of making it kind of creepy. Yeah. And like, I, I like a nice snowy setting uh, yeah. too. Like it doesn't start off snowy, but then of course, yeah, as it goes on, like the, um, you know, it, it, the, you know, idea of like, you know, the, the snow coming and covering everything, it just adds to the isolation and everything. And, uh, you know, and that can be like a very creepy setting as well, even though it is like, you know, it, uh, kind of like the opposite of, you know, darkness or something, but, uh, yeah, yeah it uh, has its own creepy quality to it. There is a line of dialogue when they've been shown around the hotel where the manager mentions it was built in a an ancient uh, native burial ground, and I'm like, I could have done without that line. I, I don't, I don't need uh, sure, yeah. such an obvious like, oh, this is why it's kind of haunted or whatever. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Don't don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not really needed. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not sure if that's in the European cut that line. I'm not sure. There was definitely added parts of this that when he's talking about. Um, I think presidents staying there. He's talking about famous people staying there. I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the European cut. But it's like this is one of these scenes where there's lots of little snippets that weren't in the European cut, and it's hard for me to remember which ones. Like it definitely felt longer, but it's yeah. harder to like pin down exactly what which parts were new and which parts weren't for me. But um, stuff like that is like so minor, you probably would never really tell. Exactly. Yeah, there's a scene later on actually where she's in the kitchen opening a can of fruit cocktail that's not in the European cut. And I only know this because I, I definitely would remember her opening this this giant tin with this big yeah. like sort of tin opener. Um, which, by the way, and in, in the uh, the uh, the big pantry they've got because there's a big freezer with all the meat. Because mm. Holleran's very excited to tell him about oh there's like there's four dozen hamburgers and there's uh, five chickens and there's all this. He's like that's all I mean. Mm. They go into the, the pantry and there's you know, all the boxes of like cookies and whatever. Mm. Was this a thing in 1980? Uh, ketchup came in a can. Like what the what the hell? <laughs> There's a giant can of Heinz ketchup, and it's like a big tin. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think I obviously that it, it does seem strange. Um, I, I think maybe my guess would be uh, is like things are maybe a little different for a hotel when you have to feed that many people. You uh, yeah, might buy like more you know larger versions of things but yeah it definitely does seem weird it just felt weird because because there was a green heinz can as well which i, I don't i don't even remember what that was but um it's one of those things Relish, H- maybe heinz always says in the front there's, there's 57 varieties and i'm like i know two of them like i can name <laughs> two heinz things i know what all I, the other I, varieties were i remember it was a thing growing up when like they did different colored ketchup like that like a purple mm. ketchup or something i don't think i ever tried it <laughs> Yeah, they used to do green for Halloween or something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, or St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I was so pissed yesterday because I went to, um, after the movies, me and my friends were walking around and I really wanted to go to Cold Stone Creamery because they were doing a special uh, Halloween ice cream. It's called like Boolicious. And I think it's just like, you know, some type of vanilla ice cream or whatever, but it's dyed black to be creepy. Uh, and uh, I went there and they were out of it. Uh, I couldn't get it and I was bummed. That's weird. 
That's weird. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one of these things though. You just there's so many logos in the background. And it's 1980, so they're sort of different. Although to give them credit, Oreo cookies have not changed their logo in a long ass time because it looked the exact oh, same. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is like a lot of the stuff they go into in room 237 where they're talking about like, oh, what does this mean when they place <laughs> like this mascot here and this there? And, you know, and, and again, it's like, you know, it seems like so it's such like a such a far fetched like thing that no one would ever notice. But it is interesting that someone is noticed and puts those things together. Yeah, it was funny, actually, is um, I never noticed Oreo cookies in this movie growing up, but um, they're, they're a big plot point in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And this was back when we didn't have Oreo cookies in the UK. We only, we only got oh Oreo cookies God. maybe like 10 years ago. So I remember wow. growing up and just being like fascinated by what's, what was that <laughs> white cream taste like? What's going on here? Um, but uh, I happen to That's quite... another thing I was saying. I was going to say I happen to quite enjoy Oreo cookies. Although I prefer... I, I prefer the, they don't really do them anymore, but they did Oreo Cakesters at one point, which was like soft versions of Oreo cookies, and they were really nice. Ooh, that sounds really good. Um, um, yeah, I, I love Oreos. And then it's another thing where... You know, nowadays, like, everything has to be, like, bigger and crazier. So, like, they're constantly coming out with, like, these like, new flavors, which some of them are really good. I actually really like the Red Velvet Oreo and mm. the Cinnabon Oreo are it, really good. But... It's really baffling to me because the whole point of the Oreo for me is the, the flavor of the cream. If you take that flavor away, then it's not an Oreo cookie anymore as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it works uh, with cases like that where I don't think it's, like, a slight variation of that type of flavor mm. um but the I, I did try the swedish fish oreo oh. <laughs> when they put that out and that was disgusting <laughs> like that was like a, a weird weird departure that did not that, work that, for me that's strange <laughs> um, I, I love swedish fish but just not uh that <laughs> combination but the important part of the scene though is when he's been showing them <laughs> in this room is uh you know, because there's a little hint before this where uh, Hollering calls him Doc, and Wendy's like, that's weird, how did you know to call him Doc? Like, we call him that sometimes because of Bugs Bunny, but how did you know? Like, oh, you must have said it. And then when they're in this, the stock room, he just sort of, he's talking about stuff, but as he's talking, he just kind of turns and looks at Danny, and we hear him say, would you like some ice cream, Danny? It's actually kind of creepy, but like it's a, he's supposed to be the nice, friendly guy, but like it feels a bit creepy. But he he actually tells Danny what the shining is and that he has this ability and he can see things that maybe others can't. Um, and he really emphasizes not to go into room two three seven, which is actually interesting because watching the movie again, it's it's kind of like he makes such a point of that. And obviously they tease room two three seven and the characters do go in there. But if there's anything I expected, maybe more of an explanation of as to why room two three seven is like the most dangerous place in the hotel, you know why that's the creepy place, why that's the place that you definitely don't go into no matter what. Um, yeah. So I don't. Um, what I can say from the book, uh, they go into the backstory, which uh, there was a woman in there who uh, was kind of like a you know like a, a like a slightly older woman um and i believe she would go to the hotel like with young men mm -hmm. uh, you, you know that sort of thing and um yeah she ends up like slitting her wrists in the bathtub and dying and then in the book they talk about like how uh some of the staff like after she killed herself um like I, I think they said it was like a while before they found the body and then when they did find her she was all bloated because uh, you know she was sitting in like the water for so long which um you can kind of see then later when you see the like ghost or whatever of her you can kind of get the sense of like why it looks like that then but um yeah so i, I think they i don't think there's anything like specific um like I, I, 
like exactly special about the room other than well someone did kill themselves there so i guess mm. that's why the that room in particular has like a, a strong presence and then they mentioned yeah like some of the um you know workers saw her ghost like when they were like cleaning up afterwards and stuff and so people just try to avoid it yeah you had the impression uh that like you know as time has went on more and more guests have added to the uh like the the the, the ghosts like i you know you know list if you will yeah. <laughs> like the amount of like things that are in the hotel like you know yeah because yeah there's obviously that and then yeah obviously uh you know grady and his family that you know he killed and then uh there was uh like part of the book too is uh like jack is going down to the boiler room and he kind of finds these old like files and stuff in these boxes and he looks through like paper clippings and he finds like all this stuff like um i think there was uh, something about some mafia people in the hotel. Like I, mm. I forget, maybe if there was a shootout or something. Or I think there was like some mafia people that died there too. And then uh, I forget if there was like at some point, like maybe like a fire or something that killed some people. But um, yeah, l- like you said, I think in general, like you don't even need a reason. It could just be this place is evil. <laughs> like yeah, that could be enough. But then yeah, if you have that and then add on top of it these deaths and like maybe with each death it kind of gets stronger or at least has more of a ghostly presence or something it's not a movie that needs an explanation is, is the thing because it's like totally what, 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 what works in the movie what sells you on this place is just how it feels the entire time the direction the execution of it tells you how dangerous this place is and what it's doing um, we don't need explanations for all the ghosts we don't need explanations for um, what this place is mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think leaving it as ambiguous as possible is actually the best thing for the movie. And sure. yeah, so yeah, we cut we cut ahead a month, and they're here. Jack's acting okay at this point. <laughs> um, yeah. He's trying to write. He's just wasting the day though, and you know, bouncing balls off the wall. Wendy's taking Danny out to the maze, and there's some great transitions here when he's looking at the maze, and it kind of like transitions to them there. And I actually really like the cut. Where they go into the maze and it cuts back to him looking at the the model of the maze, because um, there's just this really this interesting visual of him literally kind of like towering over their world, like he's kind of like this imposing figure on them, and they're trapped in his world right now. You know, so I mean, there's, there's some nice visual cues there with that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's also kind of funny because you get the sense that he's like resenting them, like he's kind of like like how can they be out there having fun while I have to be in here uh working and which you know obviously then you know later you get the the script that he's writing you know, all work and no play uh so when and it's kind of funny because it's it's not like anyone is telling him that he can't you know have fun it's like it's all like self-imposed um well kind yeah of that's, things, that, which... that's the thing he wants to write with this time but there's actually no rules saying he has to do anything other than just take care of the the hotel yeah. Uh, while he's here he's allowed to goof off if he wants <laughs> i mean I mean, it's funny i mean I, I don't know if you you can relate to this but like uh you know for me like when i'm trying to write like a, a script or something like i can totally relate to the idea of being like all right i need to write this page today but i don't know maybe i should go do those dishes or like uh, uh well you know maybe if i go and play like this game for an hour then i'll <laughs> like uh you know, then I'll get to work or whatever. Like, yeah, it, I, I it can does re- feel. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, I've been there. Um, hell, even just writing stuff, even even doing stuff now for for YouTube. Like, yeah, uh, I need to edit something. <laughs> oh, I'll play a game for a couple hours, then I'll do some editing, yeah. and you know. Or, or you do like 
you know, 10 minutes of work and you're like, all right, now I'll reward myself with uh, two hours of a game. <laughs> yes, I, I could definitely relate to that. Um, yeah, and obviously, because there's a great moment actually when they're playing out in the snow once it starts snowing, he's just sort of standing there staring at them and the camera's just kind of tracking into him and he's yeah. just, just kind of doing <laughs> this. Uh, I mean, a, a good portion of this chunk in the middle does kind of like blur together uh, when you're trying to think about it in your head because it is, yeah. so much of it is like kind of going through these these steps of like him getting just a little bit crazier, reacting just a little bit more aggressive or, or violent or whatever. Um, and it, you know, it bubbles up. And I love when Danny like sees things or he's, you know, he sees the girls or he sees the blood coming oh, yeah, out of the elevator. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff, what really works about it for me is that every time it happens, it kind of coincides with, you know, Jack looking worse or doing something. And mm. it's kind of this warning system almost. And one of the things I love is that later on, uh, when, you know, he goes full kind of like uh, Tony, essentially, and he's going, Red Ram, Red Ram, right? Yeah. And he rakes it on the door and all that. That's right before Jack Nicholson comes in with an axe. And I think something that maybe I'd forgotten about or hadn't really realized up until now is that Danny or Tony perhaps uh, in control of Danny um writes that starts shouting red rum writes it on the on the door so that she'll see it in the mirror and he actually brings her a knife because obviously it's just this creepy moment at first where right, Danny's got a big butcher knife and he's brought, he brought it to brought it to his mother and you know she wakes up and she takes it off and says oh Danny what are you doing what are you doing and then Jenkinson attacks with the axe and all I could think was no this is this was a warning he he he's telling her that you know he's coming to do something dangerous and he's brought her a weapon like this is the thing when she's in that bathroom and he's coming in with that axe like she looks at the sink because she's put down the knife there and she's now she's got a butcher knife and it's like yeah that would never be here otherwise she would not have this self-defense item if if yeah. you know danny or tony or whatever, whatever you want to phrase it hadn't brought this this was purely an a, a tactical thing as much as it might seem creepy at first because he's going red ram red ram and like it, it sounds kind of creepy he's actually just helping here and i, I think the interesting sure. idea of this movie is that like danny having this power is what gives them the edge to survive it's what gives them the edge to fight back because one of the things that i really like is this idea that again going back to the the whole thing where it doesn't necessarily have to be literal is this idea that as as jack's getting more and more crazy and danny starts seeing more and more like these flashes of this red blood coming through the the the, the elevator these flashes of these girls and he's having these freak out moments you can almost read that as just no this is how how devastating the idea of an abusive father who's scary to a child and what this this tension what this relationship that his father has with him and his, his mom is doing to him how how you know how devastating that is to a child living in that kind of toxic family situation and how yeah. it keep, kind of keeps happening like you can kind of just read it as that if you want to up to a point at oh, least totally. yeah. um so I, I really like that uh this idea um so and then even the idea that you know like the reason why wendy wants to even fight back eventually is because it's danny that's in danger she's she almost wouldn't be willing to do it for just her but it's because it's him um yeah so and obviously it all builds up to where he shows up after he goes in because there's a lot of teasing of him like going past room 237 then there's at one point the doors open and he goes in and danny like shows up with like bruises on his neck and wendy's like you did this you did this jack and this is this actually this is like a really gifable moment. You've seen this gif a lot where Jack just, yeah. just sort of with his hands like, 
What? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and what I thought, I actually almost felt like she owed him an apology because she comes because this is when he first goes to the uh, the bar, you know, in the in the ballroom and talks to uh, 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 Lloyd. This, this is the first time he straight up just talks to a ghost. Um, and Lloyd's like, no, nah, here's a drink. And you know, again, it's this metaphorical thing where he doesn't literally have booze, but this idea that he is retre- retreating to wanting booze is kind of showing you where he is mentally with his family. Um, but he's like, yeah, no, the booze is on the house, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, this, 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 that. Um, and, you know, Jack's... Like, I-, I love his performance here. I, I love how he... Uh, how he talks to Lloyd, how like he seems mm. so like like himself and honest and how I mean yeah he does come off as crazy but he's he's a really friendly yeah. crazy when he's talking to Lloyd. Uh, like it, it almost feels like he he's might have had like one or two drinks already cuz yeah mm-hmm. like he does feel very loose and he goes right into having a normal conversation like there's never a, a moment where it starts like wait who are you how'd you get here you're not supposed to be here you know it, it's just like this is normal like that I'm, yeah like he's not which, even questioning it which goes into again just reading it as him like this is like just him processing his thoughts where he's like yeah. oh she's scared of me hitting the boy but that's ridiculous i would never do that okay yeah. i did hit him once like it's like it's like he's thinking through the reasons why she feels this way but, but the the scene ends with her running in and she's like, Jack, 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 there's someone else in the house. Danny told me what happened to him. He went into room 237 and this woman was there and she strangled him. And I do like how he's able to kind of separate his interactions with the ghost from, like, you know, his with the the family. Because, like, you can tell, like, when he's with the family, he never says, like, oh, by the way, I talked to this, like, person here. Like, you know, because I... I like he would probably knows that that sounds crazy and that that they would not react well to it or whatever. So, um, and, and again, it's kind of makes you wonder how much is in his head. Like how much does he realize it is real or isn't or whatever. Um, but it, it's interesting the way he's kind of able to, yeah, like put up a, you know, straight face and uh, when dealing with his family and then like yeah. almost, lets it all go when he's dealing with the spirits well again when he's talking to lloyd the bartender he he basically blames her he's like oh it's all her she she's you know she's she's like you know that's one thing happened she's never gonna let me forget it blah blah it's all her she's dragging me down she's the problem for everything and then when he goes to check room 237 of course he walks in and we have this very hypnotic scene of the of the naked woman getting out of the bathtub and you know his his look in his face he is so captivated he's so like disgusting like kind of like turned on and he's looking at her and again, this adds to the idea that uh, his wife is holding him back, and the idea that he 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 wishes he could have a, this more exciting thing. It's, it's almost like this scene in and of itself. This 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 scary moment where he goes to kiss this naked woman, and then halfway mm. through realizes she's old and dead and like deteriorating. Mm. That's almost like a like a how he thinks of his life or his marriage. Where yeah. there was a time when it was it was it was you know it was exciting and it was romantic and it was like you know he was he was attracted to his wife. And now she's just this burden that's that's like, holding him down, and this is how he thinks of her. So this is what this scene kind of yeah. represents to to him. Interesting. Um, yeah, and it's also funny too. Like it almost seems like the, you know, the ghosts and stuff, uh, are basically acting like alcohol for him because like all the stuff he does with them is stuff that you would do if you were drunk yeah just to add to that point he immediately goes back to the the bar after this scene after this scene with um um 
Actually, maybe he goes to see Wendy first. There's a scene when he goes to see Wendy. Yeah. And says there's nothing there. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, he does that first. He does that first. He tells her there was nothing there. And the scene's going okay. But then he gets angry at her and says that yeah. it's her fault. Uh, that, you know, she, the idea, because she's kind of implying that they should leave because it's getting too scary. And he's like, no, you're going to mess this up for me. This is my, my chance to, you know, rate my thing and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, this is all your fault. You're going to ruin, you've ruined my entire life up until this point. You're, going to, you're not going to ruin this now. And he gets really angry, right? After he's had this fight with his wife, he immediately goes back to the bar. But this time, the room is full of people as a party. And, yeah. you know, Lloyd's there to serve him and he runs into Grady, the, the you know, who was the caretaker, but here's the, he's a, he's a waiter. Um, like, but again, just to, t- to tack on to that point, is like, no, he retreats to this place like he's retreating to the ball. Yeah. You know, like he has this fight with his with with the wife, and he retreats to the ball. And of course, see, this was a one sided fight. This was just him losing his shit. Like she didn't say or do anything in the scene that was remotely, you know, angry and just saying this. This is purely him flying off the handle. But he again, it's this idea that he this is how he views his wife. It's how he views his son, and he mm-hmm. sees them as these burdens, and he's retreating to his wife. It, it is purely just the story of a toxic man. Um, you know, he, your, your typical that's even like trash bag. One of the first, yeah, <laughs> that's even like one of the first things uh, he says to Lloyd is he says uh, he's a white man's burden. <laughs> like, yeah, which uh, I don't even know exactly what that means, but it's it's yeah, you can tell that he feels like he's being put upon. Yeah, I mean, there's not. I mean, there's like one sort of big, like sort of racist moment that comes up here actually, where you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's all in a good oh, mood. Right, yeah. uh, Grady like spills stuff on him and takes him to the bathroom to have a talk with him and wipe his jacket. And Grady like, because Jack recognizes the name and Grady's like, "No, I was never the caretaker here." But then he eventually does kind of admit that you know his you know his daughters were causing problems and he couldn't do what he was supposed to do, so he took care of them. And his wife got in the way, so he took care of them. And but so it, it kind of gets to that creepy point where so the ghosts are starting to float the idea to him that you might have to take care of the family. But he does say, "Do you know your son's trying to bring an outside party?" Because obviously we've seen Danny like lying there and he's like shining. And it's it's like he's actually trying to reach out to uh, Hollerin with his power, which yeah. does work because Hollerin wakes up and he like senses something's wrong, and that leads to him sort of coming. But I like you know he says you know he's, he's sending help and he's like, "What kind of help?" And you know he, he drops the end bomb and. There's not like a big thing here in the movie where this is sort of brought up, but again, it kind of ties in. If you, because if, if you think of the sort of um, you know, for, for incel of like the, the present day and the type of like idiot like people who are like you know dropping that word on stream, you know, you're and what, what we think of as that type of person, like Jack is kind of the middle-aged baby boomer kind of version of that, right? You know, he's, I mean, he's he's not obviously like a nerd like we think of some of those people, but. Sure. He's he's kind of that generation's like version of that. He's this, uh, so even though there's not a lot of racial stuff that's brought up, the idea that he is also actually racist, you know, yeah. without without really seeing much of it, it actually kind of fits his character. It kind of makes sense. Him saying, "Oh, white man's burden," it kind of feels like, yeah, everyone else is the problem. Yeah, it's not you. Everyone else, everyone else, it's your wife's fault. It's a black man's fault. It's your son's fault. It's everyone's <laughs> fault but yours. That's yeah, who he is. I mean knowing how dumb like some people are nowadays i wouldn't be surprised if there are some people that think he's like the good guy of the story (laughs) (laughs) but so now um so you have this this scene with uh with grady and it's very creepy and it's kind of getting us to the point where he's going to try something 
and it leads to a scene where Jack does kind of like get because because uh, Wendy's like sort of convinced herself they're going to leave. They're going to take the snowmobile and they're going to get to town, mm-hmm. and she's going to go talk to Jack. And she but she brings a baseball bat with her. At this point, she is she's that nervous. Uh, she's bringing a baseball bat, and she goes to see him in the in the writing room, um, and he you know he gets very angry. He gets very upset, um, accusatory and he he starts to like get you know come towards her and it very very much becomes like her sort of like saying stay back and she started like waving the bat back and forth and he's like stop waving the bat stop waving the bat yeah. and when they go up the stairs and she eventually does have to hit him like he's coming close to her and he, she has she hits him he goes down the stairs um and she drags his knocked out body to the freezer because she can lock him in there and so we get this great scene where he wakes up and he's like on the other side of the door he's like you know, just let me out and I'll forget it all happened. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. when did my head really hurt? So like, you know, he's doing all the, the play acting yeah. stuff. Um, and of course, it's this weird thing where the ghost kind of lets him out uh, mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, where you can kind of read that however you want. But um, it's like, hey, we're starting to doubt your commitment to this, uh, Mr. Torrance. Mm-hmm. We're doubting that you're actually willing to do what's necessary. And he's like, no, 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 let me, let me. You know, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take mm-hmm. care of my wife and kid. So you know the, the the hotel very much wants some. Uh, it's, it's almost like the hotel feeds on, like like damaged people. Like that, that's almost what yeah. it feels like. And uh, also another thing they mention in the book, which uh, I I don't know specifically if they talk about how he's unemployed, but that was like another thing in the book too that adds to it. Where um, uh, in in the book uh, he's a teacher, and then uh, he's kind of working at like this kind of rich kid. Uh, like private school and he ends mm. up getting fired because he um I, I forget if he there was like a like a, a troublesome student and like he gave him a bad grade and then he slashed his tires and then i think he catches him in the act and i don't know if he actually hits him or you know or if it's another thing where maybe he grabs him and almost hits him or whatever but he gets fired for that so like that's one of the reasons too why you know the job is so important to him and then you can and it's kind of funny the way like the ghosts are acting like they are acting like employers and you know uh sometimes when you are very desperate for a job especially when you have like a family to feed and everything like you'll do whatever you need to to like keep your job so you said that as if you're speaking from experience like you had a family to feed before (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i got cats that need cat food so it's important that's close enough yeah sure yeah uh, but no, like you know what I mean. It, it's like you know that's like another reason why he's just like no, like I need this job because you know yeah, like, when you are desperate and you don't want to get fired, you'll be like you know and and you know you'll you'll see these the tricks these bosses do where they're like you know you're not doing as good a job as uh as I was hoping. There, there's like, oh, that, no, 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 I'll do good. There's <laughs> that, yeah. I mean that goes back into like everything that's going on, kind of relating to his life. You know, we've been talking a lot about his alcoholism and uh, him getting angry with the kid, but. Yeah, the, the the movie does make several references to him because because one when he yells at Wendy in the in the, the room uh, before he goes back to the the bar, he says to her, "Well, you want me to go back and maybe get a job shoveling driveways or working at a, oh, yeah, yeah. a a car wash like this kind of like where he sees that as demeaning." Where and the movie never actually says why he he stopped teaching, you know, because it mentions he used to be a teacher, but it never actually says why or you know you know what the purpose was. So it's interesting yeah. to hear that from the thing, and it's one of those things where maybe it's not super important why, but you do get the idea that 
his career was derailed because of something. And a part of the reason why I think the the ghosts are treating like an employment thing is because he has this pride that's been shattered because of what, you know his yeah. career ending. And I think what one of the key lines there that kind of get, gets to that is I think it's when I think it's Grady talking to him when he's talking about how his wife was getting in the way. He talks about how he'd signed the contract and he had this duty. Uh, either he says that or maybe Jack says that to Wendy before she hits him with the bat. It's either one of those two scenes where he's talking about um, you've got a duty and you try to have to uphold that duty. Uh, I, I, yeah. I think it's Jack. I think it's Jack that says it to Wendy because he's talking about how you know I've signed my name. You know I have these responsibilities and my word is only as good as my sign. You know like is, is and he's he's really making this speech about the responsibility he has to hold up to this. And maybe it is yeah he he again it all goes back to these normal things he's losing his job he's an alcoholic he's hit his kid like it's just all these normal toxic behavior things and yeah he's this wreck he's this tragedy of a character who feels worse as time goes on because he just wallows in his own misery instead of like trying to improve himself and just for clarification, you don't think it's normal to hit kids. You, you're just saying it's not a supernatural thing. <laughs> yes. Well, what, what, how did okay. it, what, what did I phrase that would make you think I thought it was okay? I guess. Well, you said because we're all talking about normal things like toxicity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Like... <laughs> nor, normal in the sense that it's a thing that happens, not in a right. – it should be normal. But, yes, it's not supernatural. It's a everyday tragedy that happens in real life. Right. <laughs> in the same way that saying – um, I don't know. Like a hurricane is normal. It's not a good thing, but it happens. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. um, Just making sure. Yes, yes. I mean, kids are the worst, and you know, more movies should be willing to kill kids. But that's that's a uh, that's a uh, that's that's now here another. Um, yeah. So what was the point? I was about to get, yeah, yeah. So I just I like that. I like that kind of hint again. It's it's all about his personal life and his pride and the the ghosts seem to be treating it like like you say as an employment thing where it's like oh you're not doing your job uh mr torrance you need to step up so this is of course when danny gives the, the old red rum warning and uh he comes in with the axe they're in the bathroom again danny brought her a knife this was like he he knew this was coming he was making sure she had a weapon to defend herself um it's a really neat little little beat um of course danny gets out the window she does not she slices him uh, and then we end up getting a lot of chasing around the the, the hotel um, with her running around. This is where the one scene that's uh, not in the European cut that I just flat out wish still wasn't there. Uh, she runs into like a, a, I think it's the ballroom, but there's like skeletons sitting there. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's just really hokey. I'm like, this feels out of place in the between yeah. you know compared to the rest of the movie. Um, but uh, there's also like, the, the one weird moment that was in the European cut where she sees like a, a guy in like a, a bear costume giving a blowjob to another guy. I think it's been described, or at least in the book, I think it's described as a dog costume. Okay. But it it looks more like a bear. In the in the movie, at least. I think. Yeah. Oh no, it does. It does yeah. But yeah, it is kind of funny because like it is like a weird, creepy moment. Like especially as a kid when you don't really know what's going on. It, it's like uh creepy but i mean as an adult now it's just like all right i mean yeah it's just two what i'm assuming is consenting uh people <laughs> you know engaging in uh you know a fairly normal act but i guess it's a little creepy because you know one's in like this weird costume but yeah you, you say like, normal act <laughs> i think the dog costume makes it a a a, a regular uh, well i mean act. i don't want to if that's your thing though i don't want to you know uh 
you know, shame anyone's kink or whatever, but, you know. You're kink shaming. Uh, <laughs> I can see it in your face. You're kink shaming. It's written all over you. Well, you're the one that said it wasn't normal. I, I'm saying it's fine. <laughs> but I didn't say it was bad. Saying something is not normal does not mean it's bad. It's just, how many couples do you think are one of them's dressing up as a dog? I mean, I, I don't know. And it's their prerogative, so if, if that's what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did, uh, I did draw this for the uh, Inktober day that was for ghosts. <laughs> I, I drew this scene. <laughs> <laughs> so you can check that out on my Instagram if you like. Yeah, so I, I think Tim's closet is just full of various goat outfits for his kinky times. <laughs> got goat fetish. You, you never mix work with pleasure. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Get, being you, I, I don't know which part of which 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 part is work and which part is pleasure. <laughs> Well, just, you know, who knows, but it's you, you best re- not to mix them. Yeah, you really like goats, so I mean, I don't know, that may be the pleasurable side. I mean, just because you really like something <laughs> doesn't mean you're sexually attracted to it. I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, just because you really like Buffy doesn't mean you you think she's attractive. That's a weird example, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the hit television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer Tim just referenced um, of course <laughs> but uh, I mean I really like donuts and I, I can't deny that every so often I look at that hole in the middle of the donut and think yeah I could stick it in there <laughs> I kid okay that's I'm doing comedy <laughs> yeah, but a little bit of a truth <laughs> well, don't, don't even get me started on tacos anyway um, so <laughs> Uh, <laughs> or hot dog buns. <laughs> I mean, you must have really liked uh, what's it called, Sausage Party or whatever that movie is. I, I never saw Sausage Party. <laughs> so something that's good enough for me to crack a joke that lasts five seconds on a podcast is not equal a full feature length movie. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, I, I wish they would have known that uh, yes. before they made that movie. Because um, I, I did watch it; it was very bad. Uh, that's a shame. That's a, that's a crying shame. I'm so shocked. Uh, but yes, so there's a lot of round around. Obviously, we've not really mentioned Holleran's kind of on his way because he tried to communicate. Um, the movie set up earlier on like a radio, you know, Wendy talks to the police officer um, who's at the, the nearest station. But, you know, Jack destroys that. He destroys the snowmobile. Holleran's on his way. There's definitely more scenes in this cut of the uh, of Holleran on his way because in the, uh, the European cut, I don't think you see him call twice. I think you just see him call the once. And... He it just cuts to him on the plane, and I think you just see him on the plane, and that's it. You just see him sitting there. Whereas in this cut, there's like a whole thing where someone comes up and asks him if he wants anything and like whatever, and then you see him in the airport talking to a guy. Like it, it explains how he gets a snowmobile. It explains because he has to explain to the guy, oh yeah, there's this caretaker, maybe an asshole. I have to go up and see if they're doing okay. Uh, like all that's not in the European cut. It just it just you see him on the plane, and then later on you see him in the snowmobile driving towards the the, the hotel. There's no like over explanation as to how he gets this or like what his journey's like it's just no he's on his way here he is getting close to the hotel he gets in and he gets you know axed to death and is the only kill in the movie funnily enough he's the only one who gets killed in the whole movie yeah. and, and so that's one big difference uh, between that and the book is uh he does survive in the book oh. uh, and then he is not like a huge character in doctor sleep but i think it's like a pretty like you know biggish moment in the in the beginning of the book so I, i'm interested to see um 
if they'll retcon that a little bit or something for Doctor Sleep or I don't how think they'll so. address it. I, don't think, I feel I feel they'll just have another character stand in maybe. Like they'll just have another yeah. old dude. Because <clears throat> he'll be old. He'll be. I mean, I assume he was meant to be really old in the book because it's like Danny's grown up. So this guy must be. Well, in the with Doctor Sleep, like it starts off as a. It's like a like flashback scene so it's like still when he's a kid so it's like a couple of um what do you call it like i don't know maybe a couple of years or a couple of months like after you know the whole incident and everything and it's i mean spoiler alert if you don't want to know a little bit about the beginning of dr sleep but it's uh basically about him still having visions of like the ghosts and stuff and uh from uh you know the outlook and uh basically you know uh like dick helps him um, the outlook uh or the uh what do you what do you call the hotel the overlook <laughs> overlook sorry <laughs> the outlook is bleak <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna say uh, oh yeah i was like oh wait did i mean the stanley hotel but that's the name of the real hotel <laughs> uh that it's based on so but uh, the stanley kubrick hotel they should they should rename yeah. <laughs> it i think kubrick uh, actually, yeah, that would be cool. But uh, sorry. So anyway, though, but basically, like, yeah, he helps him, uh, like, kind of gives him this way of like uh, keeping the ghosts at bay. So it's uh, yeah. So again, uh, maybe they won't address it at all. Or, yeah, they'll have a stand-in, or who knows. But I mean, I'm interested to see whatever they end up doing with that. Hmm. No, could could be uh, could be interesting. I um, yeah. At this point in the movie, of course, Danny's like running around and he's hiding in the kitchen, and you know. Uh, he eventually runs out into the maze and ultimately outsmarts his dad by retracing his steps in the snow prints or the footprints in the snow uh, so that he doesn't know how to fall because that's that's how he's fallen the entire time he's but this is the thing if you go back to the scene earlier on where i said you know jack towering over the uh the maze you know the, the model and that kind of represents that he's like this this large entity shadowing over their lives and he's kind of imposing on their lives if you take the maze as kind of his world, he kind of gets lost in his own world and can't escape. You know, he he, he loses yeah. himself in his own madness, whereas Danny is able to get out um, and survives, uh, as, as is Wendy, who rides off into the, the, the snow-filled night uh, in the snowmobile to escape. Um, but of course, uh, you know, a lot of creepy things on the way. Um, I, I think, like... It, it's such a, a a stark movie where everything feels like it really just like the camera will just hang back and it'll mm. it'll kind of observe everything around the actors like it, it's probably like some of the widest framing like consistently in a movie i've seen because it's it's so obsessed with like no look at how much empty space because the, the, the kubrick always wants you to know how empty this building is so it's like no here's mm. how, how alone they are how isolated yeah. kind of thing yeah, and uh, and one last thing I'll, I'll mention about just in case anyone's interested again about differences between you know the book and everything and um, and probably another reason why Stephen King doesn't like it. Um, so spoilers for the end of the book, but mm-hmm. uh, so like Jack really doesn't get any redemption here. But like uh, the way the book ends is uh, he he actually ends up being a little bit of a hero because he kind of like regains his sanity at the last moment, and there's a um, this is ongoing thing with the book that he has to like relieve the pressure of like the boiler otherwise because it's like such an old setup that Mm. it could like explode and basically like bring the whole hotel down so uh the end of it is like they're trying to escape and then jack remembers that he has to uh 
you know, relieve the pressure. And then like, you know, he kind of has a talk with like Danny and stuff and then regains his like sanity. And at the last second decides not to relieve it and lets like the whole thing explode. So, um, so yeah, he has like a little bit of redemption and then takes like the whole hotel down with him. Again, if Stephen King felt like he was writing like a extreme version of himself, then he's probably yeah, he's yeah. probably mad that the redemptive <laughs> part wasn't in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like oh okay, so now he just dies an asshole in the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the character in the movie is definitely a tragedy. He's this like you know this character yeah. who goes down this path that so many have in real life, and that's kind of what the, what the movie's doing. It, you know, it takes it turns it up to eleven, but it's telling this story of a very kind of unfortunately common occurrence this this type yeah. of person um and it's a very bleak outlook although, although the other characters of course survive him and there's kind of the, the uplifting part in there um but yeah so even the simple visual of the blood filling the uh the hallway like coming out of the elevator oh, yeah. is this this idea of this infection that he's this toxic part of their lives that's that's you know going to just paint it red essentially um yeah, the the movie, you know, movie has layers. Even even as something as simple as all the carpets kind of looking maze like themselves. Yeah, you know the, the hotel itself being something of a maze. Um, everyone's kind of trapped in, in there. There's a lot of red. Like, the, I mean, how many bathrooms do you go into where the walls are red? Like, yeah, there's a really. Like, I'm not sure if a lot of this was like part of the hotel already, or if they were making like distinctive choices. But everything about it is kind of like intoxicating for the eyes like yeah the mm. carpet and i think when they go into the you know 237 it's like uh there was like you know the walls are very green and like the toilet is even green <laughs> which is like you know very strange but you know it makes it like very hypnotic and like weird mm. to look at it's interesting because obviously some directors will use like different color lights to like achieve like a color palette this is a case of no it's always very brightly lit and just very sort of stark and white but there's so much red in so much of the, the hotel or there's green in that room like it gives it these different moods without and then you go outside of course and everything's just like dark and white at, by the end because it's you know snow and whatever yeah. um but i mean I, I don't know if the green of the the the, the room 237 represents him going further into his own maze because you know the maze is green because it's obviously a, oh, a sure. hedge mage i don't know maybe i'm reading yeah. too much out of that at that point um, <laughs> it's interesting but yeah and even just going to you know when, when wendy finds the all work and no play makes jack a dull boy oh right yeah. um that again ties into this idea we're talking about how he feels about being worthless as a worker because he lost his job because he can't make this work because he can't do what he wants to do um yeah it's uh it's, it's, it's a movie about a man who just can't accept and sort of make amends for who he is and blames everyone else for his problems i mean that's really what it, that's, that's what it's about and uh the ghosts and the idea of like i, I guess in a weird way the hotel the ghosts kind of just represent like the temptation to to take the easy explanation to make yourself feel better i guess that's ultimately what they, they kind of yeah. you know are for him in a, in a weird way and it's funny if you contrast it with like you know a lot of the movies today and a lot of the things that we complain about like you know you kind of wish more filmmakers would take the lessons from this movie which i think it is you know watching it today i think it is still genuinely creepy and you know it's not because like the ghosts aren't jumping out at you like there's no scenes where a big over-the-top ghost like 
you know, like jumps and then there's a big like boom, bah, what you know, music yeah. cue. It's like just like the simpleness of like the fact that these ghosts are there and just like, you know, these little twins saying like, come play with us or yeah, just like, you know, a woman slowly getting out of the bathtub and everything like, you know, it's uh, no, the like that are, stuff is the scenes, are, <laughs> the scenes are very creepy. In fact, the woman getting out of the bathtub, if anything, if I was going to compare that tone, that mood of that scene to anything from recent years, I would compare it to Under the Skin. Like, the oh, music yeah, that's yeah. playing as she steps out the bathtub, it makes me think of Under the Skin when she's, like, sort of, like, yeah. you know, at the start, naked, and she's, like, she's going to go and seduce all these men, and, like, it has that kind of feel to it. It's really good. And obviously, the one thing we've not really spoken about yet is the fact that at the end, we go into the hotel and we see the picture of the uh, oh, yeah, yeah. 1921 July 4th uh, party, and we see Jack Nicholson yeah. there with some of the other characters that we've seen as ghosts, and this idea that he's been added to the collection. And I love that this is never explained, it's just... Look, here's a weird thing. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, the hotel, like, puts you to work. Like, if you're, yeah, if you become part of it, it's like you're, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're now, like, forever, like, um, whatever you're, you're doing. But, you know, it kind of makes you think, though, like, oh, yeah, at some point <laughs> there'll be someone else and, you know, Jack might be appearing as, like, a ghost there, the same way Grady did. Yeah. Yeah, he just joins a long... Long list of people who are all problematic in some way, <laughs> uh, who have all had demons and kind of fell to them, uh, which is what, which is why I think the movie's just a simple tragedy in a lot of ways. But no, it is really sure. creepy and it's effective because it it doesn't do jump scares, it doesn't do any of those things. It's more about again. I always say some of the best horror movies are when the movie's really about something really normal and human. Um, oh yeah and this is a case where yeah it's about this that's just this man and how he can't deal with this his life um you know we, we you know we talk about other horror movies and how i don't know take your pick of a, of a great horror movie but you know the better ones tend to have some sort of simple story that it's really about that's you know underneath the supernatural stuff or underneath the 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 serial killer stuff or whatever it is yeah um that's what it is so no, Shining is fantastic. What, what a surprise. Stanley Kubrick made a good movie. I'm shocked. <laughs> Absolutely shocked. Um, so, um, I, I guess we're going to read it, Timmy, but I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I don't even really have to think about it that much. This is a, a 10 out of 10 for me. Like, I, you know... Uh, you know, I feel like we haven't given, like, a ton of perfect scores on this but yeah I mean, this is a perfect movie to be i can't think of anything i don't like about it i think it's endlessly rewatchable from start to finish and you know even though it's long it doesn't feel it and just everything about it is just working uh to like maximum efficiency it's just yeah utterly brilliant <laughs> yeah i'm just looking at photos on imdb them on set everyone looks so happy <laughs> <laughs> everyone's posing happy for the photos um <laughs> yeah stanley kubrick look, looks too cheery i feel like he's much more harsh than that on set um no i uh i have to just simply agree with the 10 uh, as a goddamn masterpiece um it, i won't spoil what number it appeared at because you may not have watched it yet but uh very recently our, our voted for top 50 horror movies where you guys all voted um the shining appeared very highly on that list so um people typically agree that this is uh a a masterwork of execution 
because ultimately that's what makes this movie work it's the execution of the, the the filmmaking how it's presented how it treats the scenes how it's written um you know the actual core idea oh a bunch of ghosts in a hotel make someone go mad there's probably there's a hundred if not a thousand movies that have essentially got that premise and they all suck yeah <laughs> this movie is all about the execution and when you have Stanley Kubrick behind the camera, that execution tends to be pretty flawless because the guy knows what he's doing or didn't know what he's doing. Um, so, there you go. The Shining. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that is the final episode of the Octoberthon 2019. That is uh, Happy Halloween, of course, because it's Halloween, mm-hmm. um, if you're watching it, the day goes up. Uh, but, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you can, of course, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Uh, that helps people find us because they recommend us out a little bit more if you do that. Uh, you can also support us, as we said earlier, at patreon.com slash TV to get some bonuses. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Screams Midnight. And you can, of course, like, subscribe. Let us know what you think of the movie in the comments. Ding the bell on YouTube. Make sure you get the notifications. Uh, but otherwise, that is us. So um, it has been a long Octoberthon. It has been a it has been a packed Octoberthon. And all we can say is next year, baby. <laughs> next year. Um, but yeah, so that has been The Shining. Um, what classics will be hit next year? You'll just have to wait and find out. But... Uh, that is us so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep watching scary movies guys and we will see you next time